The following message is brought to you by George Lawson, Jr., pastor and Bible teacher with Baltimore Bible Church. We will be reading from the New American Standard Bible. For more information about this ministry, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. So now let's open our Bibles and follow along with Pastor George as we loose the scriptures and let them speak. If you would, uh, take your Bibles and open up to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 21. As a church, uh, we meet on the first day of the week uh, because it was uh, very early on the first day of the week that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. In uh, Mark chapter 16, uh, verses 2 to 6, it says, Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And uh, next week, we'll have the opportunity to gather together very early before the sun has risen. Uh, They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, Here is the place where they laid him. As a church, we gather together because of that first Sunday. Uh, Next week's Sunday, we'll be giving special attention uh, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ during our Easter resurrection celebration. It's uh, just a Sunday that churches have uh, typically set aside to give special attention uh, to what happened on that first resurrection morning. Uh, But the week before the first resurrection, there was another kind of celebration, It's been called the Triumphal Entry, or Palm Sunday. It was a celebration, but there was much more going on uh, during this day than you might realize. And uh, even though it's called Triumphal, uh, Jesus found a people unprepared and unproductive. So for this Sunday, let's turn our attention to what led up to that first Easter Sunday in Matthew chapter 21. And this takes place one week before Jesus' death and resurrection, Uh, This is really the beginning of the end. Uh, Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 21, starting at verse 1. Matthew chapter 21, starting at verse 1. It says, When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them. And he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and Father, we are grateful for your word. And Father, for this reminder of what happened before that Easter Sunday. Father, we pray that you would teach us, Lord, through this text Uh, Father, that uh, we would give Christ the the glory that he's worthy of. Uh, Father, that uh, it would be a true true confession of our hearts, Lord. Uh, Father, I pray that uh, that even today, Lord, for those who who may not have made this 
kind of confession, Lord, that today would be the, the day to make a true confession to Jesus Christ. And uh, Father, that they would recognize him for who he truly is. In Jesus' name we praise you and give you thanks. Amen. What Jesus does in uh, Matthew chapter 21 is, uh, is a bold move uh, because he knows that the Jewish leaders want him dead at this point. It's like coming to the town that has your wanted posters up everywhere, you know, Jesus wanted dead or alive. And that's where Jesus is coming to. He's coming to a place where he knows that the people are after his life. There was a time when Jesus avoided confrontation. Uh, John 7 and verse 1, it says he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. And when his brothers tried to get him to walk in Judea publicly, in John 7 and verse 6, Jesus said to them, my time is not yet here. It's not, not time for me to, to have this confrontation. It's not time for me to die. But at this point, the time has come, and Jesus is going to make a grand entrance into Jerusalem, into the belly of the beast where they want him dead. He's going to make a grand entrance knowing full well what's about to take place. This, this is Jesus coming into the den of robbers, the den of thieves, where they're waiting for his blood. On at least, at least three different occasions, Jesus told his disciples that he was going to suffer at the hands of the elders, chief priests, the scribes, and be killed in Jerusalem. He knows what's about to happen. He knows where he's going to die. He knows how he's going to die. He knows when he's going to die. And he organizes a public parade into the place of his execution. Why? Because he's going to get glory. He's going to get glory. Jesus plans his own celebration. He plans his own celebration. Look at verses 1 to 3 again. It says, When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. We don't know where uh, Bethphage is today, but we do know that it was near a city called Bethany. According to Mark chapter 11 and verse 1, uh, Bethany was the home of some of Jesus' closest friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. It's only located about a mile and a half away from Jerusalem. It's about a, a 15 to 20-minute walk uh, from where this place would have been to uh, Jerusalem. You, you don't really need a ride to get there, 15, 20-minute walk. He's not requesting a donkey because Jerusalem is too far for me to travel by foot. He's requesting a donkey because he wants to make this grand entrance. It's part of the picture that he wants Jerusalem to see. So he sends two disciples to a nearby village to untie a donkey and her colt. This is the equivalent of uh, someone uh, walking down the street and uh, starting a work vehicle and just driving off with it. <laughs> Jesus sends two of his disciples. That's, I mean, this, these are somebody's work animals. You know, that's what a donkey would have been. This would have been like your work truck. Donkeys were used for plowing, transporting goods, transporting people, and the colt of the donkey would have been the donkey that hadn't been ridden before. You know, it still had that fresh donkey smell to it. It hadn't been ridden yet. Right off the factory lot. And Jesus doesn't ask permission to borrow these animals. Why doesn't he ask permission? Because kings don't need permission. Jesus is exercising his right as the king at this point, exercising the same authority over these donkeys that he has over every town, every village, every place on the planet. And one day, everybody will acknowledge that he has that right, that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And there's this willing submission on the part of the owner in Luke chapter 19. lets us know that as the disciples went to go and untie somebody else's donkeys, 
that the owner came out and they're saying, why, why are you untying the colts? What are you doing? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And there's no argument. You know, the Lord has need of it. You can just go with it. I mean, that's, hopefully that's the way that we respond when the Lord says, I have need of anything, right? I pray that that would be the attitude that, that we have. If, and I don't know what the Lord is asking you to bring to him. You know, maybe the Lord is asking you to bring to him your marriage, your job, your kids, your finances, your life. I pray that the response would be the same way. Hey, the Lord has need of it. I'll I'll, I'll give the Lord everything. Anything is is worth giving up if it's for the Lord. He is the rightful owner of it all anyway, right? So Jesus prepares for his own entrance, and the Scriptures also prepared for his own entrance. Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The, the picture of Jesus being ridden into Jerusalem should have set off all kinds of bells and whistles in the minds of the people of Jerusalem. They should have been saying like, hey, hold on a minute. I, I think I remember this from somewhere. Some, somewhere in my you know, quiet time, I think I've I've read about this happening. You know, somewhere in Myawana, you know, I think they told me something about, about, you know, somebody coming in on a donkey. I mean, this, this reminds me of something. Why don't you flip back to Zechariah chapter 9, uh, two books behind Matthew, past Malachi, and find yourself in the book of, of Zechariah. Look at chapter 9 of Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest, a prophet. He was born in Babylon, was born in the land of exile, after uh, Israel was allowed to return back home to Israel, Zechariah was part of that group that returned to Israel to see the temple rebuilt. And Zechariah reminds Israel of the hope that they would have in the future. Even though things look bad, the Lord would not forget his promises to them. Uh, the name Zechariah actually means the Lord remembers. You know, it's like a reminder. The Lord remembers. The Lord doesn't forget his promises. He's given you a promise. He will fulfill that promise. Even his name was a reminder of that. In chapter 9 of Zechariah, he encouraged Israel with the prophecy of their coming Messiah who would one day arrive in the very place where they were attempting to rebuild at this time. Take a look at Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is the promise of the Lord. All, like I said, all kinds of bells should have been going off right now. What is this guy doing coming in riding on a donkey? What, 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 who is this? That should have been the question. Look at the next verse in Zechariah 9, verse 10. It says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, and the bow of war will be cut off. He's going to put an end to warfare. And he will speak peace to the nations, and his dominion will be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. He's going to reign over everything. Drop down to verse 15 in chapter 9. Look at verse 15. It says, The Lord of hosts will defend them, and they will devour and trample on the sling stones, and they will drink and be boisterous as with wine, and they will be filled with like a sacrificial basin, drenched with the corners of the altar. And the Lord their God will save them in that day as the flock of his people, for they are as the stones of a crown sparkling in his land. And apparently, some people who are watching Jesus come in on the, the donkey were starting to put Zechariah's prophecy together with what was actually happening. Why do I say that? Flip back to, to Matthew chapter 21. 
What are they saying? Verse 9. It says, the crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Do you know what Hosanna means? Save now. Save now. Zechariah says that this king will come and he will bring salvation. And now they start saying, hey, well, can you do it now? Save now. Save now. They're connecting Jesus with this prophecy. He has come to deliver us. He's come to save us. And this leads us to our next observation. The people prepared for Jesus' entrance, verses 6 to 9. It says the disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. The kind of honor that the disciples give to Jesus is right. They respond in obedience. They bring the animals that he asked for, and they honor him by even removing their coats to lay it on top of the donkey. It's like, you know, Jesus is is too valuable, too honorable to even sit on the donkey bear. Let's put our coats on top of him. Let's elevate him. And what are the disciples thinking as Jesus is coming in to Jerusalem? We don't have to wonder what they're thinking. (laughs) The Bible actually lets us know what they're thinking. Flip over to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. What are the disciples thinking as Jesus is coming in on top of this donkey? The disciples are thinking that we're about to receive the kingdom. It's it's coming now. Here it is. This is what we've been waiting for. Who's got the right hand? Who's got the left hand? I mean, I know we argue about that all the time, but this is it. It's finally about to happen. The kingdom is here. Look at uh, Luke chapter 19. Look at verse 11. This talks about the same time just prior to Jesus writing in. Verse 11 says, While they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable. Why? Because he was near Jerusalem, and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. They thought, this is it. Here it comes. He's about to go and claim his throne. He's about to rule over Jerusalem. He's about to rule over the world. This is what's about to happen. The disciples are thinking the kingdom's about to come. So Jesus tells them a parable to say it's not coming yet. Look at verse 12 of uh, chapter 19 here. So he said, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called 10 of his slaves and gave to them 10 minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. This helps to put some context around the triumphal entry. If you think that this is Jesus coming to receive his kingdom or that Jesus was surprised when he was rejected, you need to think again. Jesus specifically told this parable because he knew that the kingdom would not come immediately. And whatever the celebration was, it was not that. He's about to go to a distant country, speaking of heaven, to receive the kingdom and then come back to establish it. And the citizens of this country do not want me to rule over them. They don't want me. And he's going to leave and leave us here to do business until he returns. And that's where we are right now. Pretty simple, isn't it? This is not the kingdom. 
I don't know if anybody's confused about that right now. But this is not the kingdom. And one reason that this is not the kingdom is because the king is not here right now. The king has gone away. And he will return to establish the kingdom. And he's left us here to occupy until he comes. And there's historical examples of ancient rulers who would go to Rome to receive the kingdom for themselves and after receiving permission that they would then return to that land and conquer it. And this is the kind of picture that we have in this parable. Jesus has ascended to heaven to receive the kingdom from his father and one day he will return to conquer it and establish it. And in that same parable in Luke 19, Jesus tells us what the end would be for those who reject his rule in verse 27 It says, but these enemies of mine who do not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. Disciples and the crowds, they were thinking that this is going to happen now. He's going to come in. He's going to slay his enemies. He's going to establish his rule. It's going to happen now. And there's many today, many modern-day theonomists who want that kind of kingdom now. Let's bring it in now. Let's, let's establish all the rules. Let's get rid of all the enemies. We're going to be in control of culture, and we're going to rule now. Lord, Hosanna, save now, save now, bring it now, bring it now, do it now, Lord. And they think that somehow they're ushering in the kingdom of God now. But you can't have the kingdom without the king. The king has gone away to a far country, and it's when he returns that the kingdom will come with him. But this time is a time when we occupy until he comes. That's what's going on. Back to Matthew chapter 21. You have the the disciples who are anticipating that the kingdom's coming now. Verse 7, it says, they brought the donkey and the colt laid their coats on them and he sat on the coats. You have the crowd, most of the crowd in verse 8, spread their coats in the road and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. Palm trees were a symbol of rejoicing. We find that in Leviticus 23 and verse 40. In Revelation chapter 7 and verses 9 to 10, it lets us know that it will be used in the future to celebrate the king. Revelation 7, 9 and 10, it says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all the tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's going to happen in the future. There's coming a time in the future where that will happen again. And the crowds here, they're going ahead of him. And those who follow were shouting out, Hosanna, verse 9, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And again, they're, they're thinking that this is going to happen now. Save Lord, Lord, this is it. You're going to come in and defeat the enemies. We're tired of being under the Roman oppression. He's going to come in and he's going to bring the kingdom now. Save now, Lord, save now. Now, it was right that they recognized him as the king. That was right. But as far as the timing, they were off. Now flip back to Psalm 118. Psalm 118. Here they quote from, uh, from Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is actually a, a psalm of joy, a, a psalm of celebration. It was used as uh, worshipers approach the temple of God, and, and commentators point out that this was uh, used during the time of the Passover, which is actually the, the time that that we're in right now. That's the the time period that Jesus is coming in. Take a look at uh, verse 19 of Psalm 118. 
Verse 19. It says, Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. And obviously the people are thinking that we're the righteous. You know, the gates are opened up to us. Look at verse 21. This is the gate, uh, or uh, verse 21, sorry. I shall give thanks to you for you have answered me and you have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. They would not have viewed themselves as rejecting the cornerstone, but this is exactly what was going on. Verse 25, O Lord, do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. They would have thought that their prayer for blessing, for prosperity, was limited to physical oppression. Many people still think that way today. Save us, Lord. Bring blessings. Prosper us. But sadly, Jerusalem wanted the king without the submission. They wanted the king without submitting to the king. And we find out later that they were unprepared to receive him. Back in Matthew 21. As the crowds are coming in, going ahead of him, they're shouting out their hosannas. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And you have to keep in mind that these are people from outside of Jerusalem who are coming and approaching Jerusalem, okay? So, so these are people from Bethany, Bethphage, you know, maybe people from Galilee that are coming with Jesus into Jerusalem. But now they actually get to Jerusalem, and what happens? Look at verse 10. When they had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, who is this? The, the city of Jerusalem doesn't even recognize him. Who's, who, who's this guy? Who is this? The crowds that came were from the outside. He enters Jerusalem, and the people don't even know who he is. What do you mean by this? You know, haven't your leaders told you about this king? Of course not, because the leaders of Jerusalem rejected this king, right? In fact, the leaders of Jerusalem were trying to shut down the celebration. Flip over to to Luke 19. I know we've already been there once, but one more time, Luke 19. Take a look at what was going on as this celebration was, was happening. Look at verse 37. Luke 19, starting at verse 37. It says, As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God. You know, let's get the celebration going. Here he is. Praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Shut it down. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. No, there's going to be a celebration today, guys. <laughs> we're, we're, going to, we're going to have a party today. We're, we're going to, I'm going to be recognized. I'm going to be honored. Even though Jerusalem rejected him, they wanted him dead. But he says, no, there's going to be a celebration in my city. We're going to be honored today. Down in verse 40, you know, the stones are going to cry out. You know, if, if these don't say something, the stones are going to say something. I will be recognized. Verse 41, it says, when, they approached, when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. Like I said, the people of Jerusalem rejected Jesus. And that's what the parable said, right? These people don't want me to reign over them. I'm coming anyway, but, but they don't want me. They've already rejected me. 
The religious leader said that this man cast out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. Based on the parable, they, they don't want him to rule. He was rejected by the rulers. He was rejected by the city. They were not prepared to receive their king. And even the people who celebrated didn't understand exactly what they were celebrating. And how do we know that back in Matthew 21? How do we know they didn't know what was going on? Verse 10, when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet, Jesus from Nazareth. Is, is, is that all he is? <laughs> He's just a prophet? When Jesus pressed his disciples for an answer of who I am, it's you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But the crowds who were surrounding Jesus just said, oh, he's he's the prophet. We're celebrating the prophet. The crowds didn't really know who he was. And then he comes into Jerusalem and he just weeps over it. If you had known, if you had only known the things which make for peace, but the truth is hidden from your eyes. The question that you need to ask yourself, is this the truth hidden from your eyes today? Do you know who Jesus is? There's a lot of religions that would say that Jesus is a prophet, he's a good teacher, he's a moral example, he's a social activist. But Jesus is more than that, isn't he? He's the Christ, he's the Son of God. He's God in the flesh. But you have these crowds that are around them throwing their coats and throwing down their palm branches and they don't even know who's sitting on the donkey. Your palm branches will not help you out if he's not ruling over your heart. Jesus plans his own celebration, and what happens next is that Jesus crashes the celebration in Jerusalem. He crashes Jerusalem's party, Jerusalem's celebration. And we don't get this from uh, Matthew, but back in Matthew 21, between verses, verse 11 and verse 12, there's actually a full night that happened in between those two verses. Mark Acts Mark 11 lets us know that there was some time in between. So Jesus rides in to Jerusalem, rides to the temple. He goes, approaches the temple. He looks over it, and then he goes back to Bethany to spend the night to think over what he's just seen. He's come to the city, his city. He's come to the temple, the, the house of, of his father, and now he goes back home to contemplate. Mark chapter 11, verse 11 says, Jesus entered Jerusalem came into the temple, and after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve, since it was already late. And what we have, in, starting in verse 12, is the next day. Matthew 21, starting at verse 12. It says, And Jesus entered the temple. This is the next day. And drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple, and overturned the tables of the money changers, and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. Jesus does this after he's had a night to, to sleep on it. The temple in Jerusalem was designed to be a place where he came to meet with God. There was a large outer court where the Gentiles would meet. There was a court of the women where the Jewish women could meet. There was a court of the men where the men could meet, so, you know, just kind of cuts down how many people can be a part. And then finally, you have this, this inner kind of place where the men could kind of peek in to see where the priests would meet, where they would offer the sacrifices. And as Jesus enters this temple, he enters this place where the court of the Gentiles would have been, where that, this is as far as the Gentiles could get to the temple, all right? And in this place where the Gentiles would have met, you've got a marketplace 
livestock, selling oxen and sheep and doves, exchanging money. A whole commotion is going on, buying and selling, haggling over prices. It's a common marketplace. As close as the Gentiles could get to the temple, it's nothing but a bazaar. According to the writings of the rabbis, it was called the bazaars of the sons of Annas. Josephus described Annas as a great hoarder of money, and these shops were outside in the temple grounds, and the way it worked was simple. If you wanted to offer a sacrifice, the sacrifice had to be approved, but if your animal failed the, expect, the inspection, they could, they could sell you another animal that would pass the inspection. So you had all this haggling over prices, you know, how much for this sheep, how much for this oxen, how much for these turtle doves, and all the prices were jacked up, you know, kind of like when... Uh, you know, you go into the movie theater, they don't want you to bring in your own food, but then they want to sell you food at like three, four times the price, you know? It's the same kind of thing here. Like, hey, you can't bring that in, but, you know, for the low, low price, you know, we can sell you this over here. And in addition to that, the temple refused to take Roman currency, so even if you brought your money, they had to exchange the money as well and jack the price up for that, for the exchange. According to a Jewish commentator, a person would often have to pay as much as 10 times the amount as what their animal was actually worth. And Jesus looks at all of this, and he's had it up to here. Like, this is the place where I'm to be worshipped. This is to be a place of prayer. And you've turned it into a business. So Jesus wrecks the temple. He drives out those who are buying, selling, overturned their tables, money changers, seats of those who are selling doves, we're not told if he made a whip like he did in John chapter 2 when he initially cleared out the temple. But, but, I mean, just imagine this. I mean, money's flying, tables are turning, seats are rolling. People are physically being tossed out, picked up and tossed out. Jesus literally shut the place down. And more than that, Mark chapter 11, verse 16 says, he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. I've actually been to the, to the Temple Mount. It's about 36 acres of land. And Jesus came in and cleared out the entire place by himself. Such authority. He's casting them out and he's saying, present active verb, my, my house shall be called a house of prayer. First part of that is taken from Isaiah 56 and 7. The full quote is, Even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all peoples. All peoples. Now, it's another way to talk about the nations, the Gentiles. This is to be a place for all peoples. The Gentiles are supposed to gather here, and now you won't even allow them to come in. They've been forced on the outside so you can move your business in. Using God's name as a way to pick people's pockets. They sought the temple of the Lord as some kind of cover for their criminal activity. And just because somebody today wears a cross, carries a Bible, stands behind a pulpit, uh, doesn't mean that he's doing God's business. You have a lot of crooks in the pulpit that are just after the money. So Jesus cast them all out, and then he restores health. Verse 14, the blind, the lame came to him in the temple. He healed them. Blind and the lame weren't frightened by Jesus. His display of anger in the temple wasn't against them. They, they felt comfortable coming to him. I mean, little children felt comfortable coming to the lap of Jesus. He knew it, that they, they knew that he wasn't angry against them. So he heals them. This is actually a sign of the Messiah, that he would heal these diseases, the lame, the blind, the afflicted. And what Jesus is doing here is he's given a preview of the kingdom. This is what I've come to bring. This is the peace that I wish you knew about. 
This is the peace that I've wanted to bring here, but you wouldn't have me. Then he rebukes the hypocrites. Look at verse 15. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant. These hypocrites couldn't care less about the lame and the blind being healed. You might expect them to recognize that, you know, God has just shown up in their temple. (laughs) You know, here he is performing these miraculous signs. You might expect them to reconsider what they thought about the Savior now that they've seen him at work. Shouldn't we at least hear him out? You might expect them to, to be struck with fear at the power of Christ. At the very least, they should be happy that, that somebody's being healed. You know, this, this blind man can see. But all they care about is shutting down the celebration. Don't you hear what these people are saying about you? The word for children speaks about these young boys who came to the temple, much like Jesus did at the age of 12. Remember, he came to the temple. So these young boys are witnessing what Jesus is doing, and they're saying, Hosanna! It's the son of David! It's like these little boys can see what the elders can't see. And Jesus quotes from Psalm 8. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise for yourself. If I can't get praise out of you, I'll get it out of the babes. These children will recognize who I am. I'm going to be recognized. You can't stop the celebration. I will be glorified. You can't stop this. And I don't want you to miss the significance of what Jesus says here. When he says, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you've prepared praise for yourself. Who is being praised during this time? Jesus is. Who is this saying that Jesus is? Jesus is God. You've prepared praise for yourself. And who is himself? It's me. And there's one more event that's important to pick up and just want to bring this out uh, because this is what happened early this morning before he came to the temple. It says in verse 17, he left them, went out of the city to Bethany, spent the night there, so he leaves again. But verse 18 picks up something that happened earlier on that day. Now, in the morning, when he was returning to the city, so it actually goes back in time to say, let me talk about what happened in the morning before he got to the temple and cleared it out. Let me tell you what happened. Verses 18 and 19. Now, in the morning, when he was returning to the city, he became hungry Seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, No longer shall there, be any, shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. We've heard about miracles of healing, creation, compassion, but where do we ever find Jesus performing miracles of destruction? Killing! This is what happens in verses 18 and 19. Everything that Jesus did was intentional, it was purposeful, it was meaningful. He never lost control. He was never out of character. And there's a message in the fig tree, and there are some striking similarities between the fig tree and the temple. And this becomes for us a great reminder of genuine faith that's always marked by spiritual fruit. A couple things I want to point out about this as it unfolds. Number one, Jesus had the right desire. It says, uh, seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. It says that he became hungry in verse 18. It was a natural and right desire for Jesus to eat. Jesus was uh, truly human. He wasn't some kind of super-engineered, super-powered being who escaped all of our human weaknesses. He he became hungry, had a a real desire to eat, took on our limitations, as Hebrews 4.15 says. It's an obvious point, but it's an important point to make. He 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 had a right desire. He wanted to eat. He had a right expectation. He came to this lone fig tree by the road expecting to find 
some kind of fruit on this. Now, Mark adds the detail that it wasn't the season for figs, which makes some people think that Jesus was irrational. Why are you looking for a fig tree when it's not fig season? You know, why are you expecting this? But one background on the life of Christ makes this comment. Although the season at which figs ripened had not yet arrived, the tree was clothed with leaves, and the fruit of a fig tree sets in before the leaf unfolds. So if there are leaves, he expected there to be fruit because the fruit comes before the leaves, okay? So when he comes to this fig tree, he sees the leaves on it. It's like, well, there's got to be fruit on here as well. So he goes to this leafy fig tree expecting to see the early growth of the fig. Had a right expectation. In addition to that, a place that he's near is Bethphage, which is the, the place of the early fig, the house of the early figs. So here he comes to the, he's in the place of the, the early fig. He comes to the fig tree with the leaves on it, expecting to see the, the fruit. First ripe figs were actually the best figs, the, the, the sweeter figs, the very good figs. You know, I actually have a number of passages which speak about this. So Jesus had the right expectation. He had the true desire, right expectation, and he has the right reaction. When he doesn't see any fruit on the tree, what does he say? No longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. People didn't grow trees in ancient Israel for the, for the shade. They grew it for the fruit. And the fig tree that did not produce fruit was worthless. It was of benefit to nobody. The fig tree is personified in Judges 9-11. When it says, shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit to go to wave over the trees? Is, you know, am I here just to, to provide shade and wave over the trees? No, I'm, I'm here to produce fruit. Fig trees produce fruit. On the third day of creation, God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, trees bearing fruit. It was its purpose to bear fruit. And if it didn't fulfill its purpose, it was worthless. So Jesus condemns the fruitless tree, and it's not hard to put the illustration together. God's desire for worship and honor is right. And he came to Jerusalem where he should have expected there to be worship of him, right? I mean, that's what should have been going on in the temple, right? That's why the temple is there. It exists for the worship of God. So here Jesus comes to the temple where the right expectation is that there's going to be worship here. There's going to be honor that's being given to God here. And instead of finding honor to God, what does he find? He finds this bazaar there, the, the buying and selling of animals, the exchange of money, Absolutely nothing that has to do anything with the glory of God. And by this point, he had given Israel every opportunity to produce fruit. Three years, Jesus had his ministry among them. From the, from the, the beginning of his ministry, he had John the Baptist who, who warned them, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Turn to the Lord, repent. Make his path straight. They had been warned ahead of time for more than three years of Jesus' public ministry. Israel was like this plant that was dug around, fertilized, tended to the public ministry of Jesus, his disciples. The word is going out. You would have expected to see some kind of fruit after all the work that was done. But when Jesus returns to Jerusalem after he had first cleansed the temple at the beginning of his ministry in John 2, he comes back and it's business as usual. They're right back to where they were before. No fruit after all this time. Still no fruit. All you have is the leaves of religion. You have no fruit to bear. And Jesus' reaction to the fruitlessness is right. A nation that does not worship God is like a fruit tree that does not bear fruit. 
you've lost your purpose for existence. And Jesus' response to their lack of repentance is right. Matthew 23, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets, who stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. That's like the cursing of the fig tree. You didn't want to bear fruit. Now you won't bear fruit. (laughs) Now you're going to be left empty. Now your house is going to be left to you desolate. But then he says in verse 39, For I say to you from now on, this is Matthew 23 and verse 39, For I say to you from now on, you will not see me until. And there's, there's grace in that word, until. You will not see me until. You say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The kingdom was being taken away from Israel during this time. The kingdom of God will be taken away from you, given to a people producing the fruit of it. And who is that people? Brothers and sisters, that people is us. <laughs> we're, we're that people now. The body of Christ. And what is God expecting to see in us? We're to bear fruit. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, Behold, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And where's the temple of God today? It's not in Jerusalem. You know who's the temple of God? We are. The church is. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? 1 Corinthians 6.19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom whom you have from God, and that you're not your own? There's coming a time in the future where national Israel will recognize the Messiah for who he truly is until, there's that until, remember? There's coming a time in the future where Israel will actually recognize him And that's what Zechariah 12.10 speaks about. I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn son. And it's in that day that they will truly cry out in sincerity, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What happened on this triumphal entry was not this. There were people who didn't understand. There were people who were confused. Even the disciples were expecting, hey, the kingdom's going to come now. There were the, 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 the city of Jerusalem. They didn't even want Jesus. We will not have this man to rule over us. But there's coming a time in the future where they will finally be broken and say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it's at that time that God will bring his salvation. That's the time that we're looking forward to. And we pray for that day to come. The fruit wasn't there then, but there's coming a time in the future where God will produce that fruit. And if you're here today, if you're a believer, like I said, God is expecting that fruit from you now. God is glorified by this in John 15, verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples a genuine confession, a true confession of Christ will be accompanied by fruit, the fruit of repentance, the fruit of a changed life. That's what 
Jesus was looking for. Where's the fruit? You know, I, I hear a lot, of, a lot of talk going on here, but where's the fruit? There was no fruit of repentance. They hadn't changed. You know, and if you are here today saying that I belong to Jesus, I give him honor, he's looking for that in the fruit of your life. Has your life demonstrated that kind of change? John 15 says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Galatians 5.16, but I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. That's how you produce fruit, right? As we yield ourselves to him. And if you're here and you're not a believer, if you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, you have no idea when this inspection day will come for you. (laughs) An inspection day came for Jerusalem, and they were unprepared. They were unprepared. When is that inspection going to come for you? Are you engaged in just superficial worship, hypocritical religion? Do you have a lot of leaves on your tree but no fruit? A lot of leaves? You have a a lot of leafy, leafy religion today. A lot of leafy religion. And don't think that you're safe because you attend a religious service. You know, I've got my, my palm leaves and I'm going to church on Easter Sunday, you know, as if I'm, I'm covered for the year now. <laughs> I've, I've come in and I've, I've kind of waved my, my leaves and somehow I'm okay. You're not safe because you're religious. Jeremiah 7 verse 4 says, Do not trust in deceptive words, saying, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. They thought they were safe because they're in the temple. Hey, this is where I'm at. I'm in the the temple of the Lord. Safety in here, God says, don't think that you're safe there. You're not safe just because you attach yourself to religion. In verse 8 of Jeremiah 7, he says, Behold, you are trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery and swear falsely and offer sacrifices to Baal and walk after other gods that you have not known and then come before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered! that you may do all these abominations? you think you're safe just because you've entered into the doors of the church? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, declares the Lord. We're, We're not saved because of our attachment to religion. We're saved if our hearts have been changed and we've given our lives over to Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, so much for this time that we've had in your word and now, Father, we pray that we wouldn't be uh, like those that gave uh, just false words of, of honor that didn't understand it. Now, Father, today we can truly say, Hosanna. <laughs> we can truly cry out to you, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We've recognized Jesus as the king. And Father, it was right to recognize Jesus as the king, but from many of those who said the words, they didn't understand what they were saying. Now, Father, I pray that we would give you praise with understanding. And Father, that we wouldn't consider ourselves safe just because we're attached to religion. Now, Father, I pray that it would be the true cry of our heart because we've truly been broken before you and we're bearing the fruit of repentance. So, Father, I pray that that would be true of our lives. In Jesus' name we praise and give you thanks. Amen. You have been listening to George Lawson Jr. of Baltimore Bible Church. To hear other messages or to find out about upcoming events and where we meet for weekly church services, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. Baltimore Bible Church reserves all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available on our website and includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating all printed media, 
CDs, and digital files.